God has great things planned. And we get to see them unfold. One of my favorite concepts about God is in the passage and, and, and history and the interplay is in the passage that we're going to look at today in our study. And if you got to hear Pastor David's sermon, it links hand in glove with something he said toward the end of the sermon that I'm excited to get to as well. So with that, let's start our class study on Colossians. The entire church is studying this at all of the campuses. If you've got your booklets, it gives you some insight. We're covering the same material, but we're doing it out of a, a, a different approach in a sense, uh, simply because uh, I, I do better teaching the stuff that I kind of prepare myself, and so I'm uh, uh, excited to get to do that with you. I do hope that you brought a Bible. If you're looking at your iPhone and you're doing Instagram, that's a no-no. But if you're looking at your iPhone because you've got your Bible on there, that's a yes-yes. If you've got a tablet, that's a great way to get it. Get your pen out or however you make notes. Open to Colossians chapter 2. That is our goal. If you're new to the Bible, Colossians is in the New Testament. That is in the, the, the last part of the Bible, the way it's organized. That starts out with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have a history book of the church called Acts. Then we have a collection of letters from Paul. The, they're, they're ordered, you know, scholars don't know why they're ordered the way they are. Did you know that? It's kind of interesting. There are two main theories. One is that he wrote it from the most important churches or, or that they're ordered from the most important churches to the least important churches. It's kind of disappointing if you're one of those at the end. And then the personal letters after that. The other theory is it's from the biggest ones to the littlest ones, which it happens to be as well. Nobody knows. But Colossians, at any rate, is right there after Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians... Colossians. So it's down there toward the end of the church letters. It was not a huge church in itself in terms of, of being a metropolis. It was one of three churches in the Lycos Valley in what's now Turkey. And of those three towns in that valley, it was the smallest of the three. So that's, I'm telling you just to give you time to find Colossians chapter 2. That was all filler. Hopefully you found it. So here's your first question for today. What satisfies your heart? What satisfies your mind? Where do you find satisfaction? Where is the source of joy in your life? What makes you happy and joyful? Where do you find the answers to the nagging questions of life? I've been trying to find out how people answer that. I've been trying to find out... Volume up, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mick, 
Mick can't find it. Mick is tried in a lot of different places. And Mick is not finding any satisfaction. I mean, some people think they're going to find satisfaction in money. If I can just have enough money, I will be satisfied. Get on the internet. And you will find all sorts of people who will tell you that they've got the answer to whether or not you have enough money to retire. When I was 23 years old, I graduated from law school and I took my first job. I was getting paid an astronomical sum. It was huge. I did the math. I was making $30,000 a year. And I did the math and figured out I was 23. If I lived carefully, I could retire by age 28. Making $30,000 a year and putting aside enough for retirement. Because I knew, living carefully, I could live on about $10,000 a year. I'd done that all my life. So I just needed to save enough to where I could come in at about $10,000 a year until the day I died. Now I want to tell you, if you told me this year I had to live on $10,000... I would go get another job because I would not be able to do so. We have two children in college. You can't breathe for $10,000. But there are a lot of websites that will tell you this. I don't trust them. That's why I go to Dale. <laughs> but you, 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 don't, you, you don't think for a moment, please, that if you've got enough money, you're going to be satisfied. Mick still sings that song. Mick has lots of money. Now, some people don't look to money for their joy. They don't look to money for satisfaction. They look in more practical places. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. There's a certain level of joy. Papa Cita's is good for about an hour and a half. But then reality sets in, and even comfort food doesn't give you full joy and full satisfaction. Life's answers, if you want them, what do you do? Do you look at your horoscope in the newspaper for life's answers? I hope not. What were those, Catherine... Catherine's not in here, is she? She's, she's like dying and has some shower or something. I don't know. But we had some like chopchi sticks or something as a game. Or a Ouija board. Oh yeah, that's really going to give you some answers to life. How about that magic eight ball? I knew that was a fake. I got it at a birthday party when I was nine. I said, are you real? And I turned it upside down It said, no. What satisfies your heart and your mind? 
Where are you going to find your joys? Where are you going to find your answers to life's questions? Let me suggest to you, we should look in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is one of these things that here, I brought my Greek New Testament. Because by golly, I just thought y'all would really enjoy reading it in the Greek. Fellow, fellow, no, that means uh, I'm, I'm, I want or I wish, I'm willing. Um, I'm willing for you to know, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Now, I told you there were three towns in the Lycos Valley. One of them, Colossae, getting this letter. The second, Laodicea. And that's the biggest one. Then it had kind of a suburb. Laodicea was 10 miles from Colossae. Another five miles down the river was Hierapolis. And and actually this letter goes to them too. You can see in chapter 4, verse 13, there's a a reference to uh, uh, the church there as well. So at any rate, we've got uh, uh, Paul writing... And he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. The the word for struggle, by the way, is the Greek word a, I don't want to write it on there, it's not big enough, Um, a, g, o, n, and then you put the ending on it, generally another a, all right, a, G-O-N. We get the word agony from it. It's actually, fittingly, an exercise word. As in, I've been running for two miles and I'm in agony. It means a struggle. It it means um, an endurance, fitness, chore. It's... it's, um, Drop and give me 20. For some of us, drop and give me a half. It's, it's, it's that marathon or half marathon or 5K. For some of us, it may be walking to the car. But it's the idea of this exertion that you're doing for some driven reason. You don't have to exercise you choose to exercise or not dr bob told me one time he said mark i've started doing curls and i said really we were we were eating at the time and he says yeah and he picked up his diet coke and starts doing this with it (laughs) there are different ways to exercise but what paul's saying is is i've chosen to engage in a struggle for you I've chosen to wear myself out for you. I want you to know how much I have chosen to struggle for you and for the people at Laodicea and for everyone, look at this, who has not seen me face to face. Paul hadn't met him. He's struggling He's exerting himself. He's working for them. He's in agony 
for them, never having seen many of them. I think that speaks volumes about Paul's character. But I also think it speaks volumes for the message Paul's delivering. How many of you took an economics class at some point in history? Okay. Then, (laughs) y'all remember Father Guido Sarducci's five-minute college degree? He says, in in the five minutes, I'm going to tell you everything you remember after five years anyway. (laughs) Economics, supply and demand. That's all you're going to remember after five years. You're past your economics. Well, there's one other thing maybe you remember. Do you remember this term, opportunity costs? It's the idea that I have 24 hours today. Most of you do too. And I can choose to spend 45 minutes up here talking to you. But it costs me something. Now it doesn't cost me money. I don't have to pay you, most of you, to listen. (laughs) Checks in the mail, Dale. I don't have to pay most of you to listen. What does it cost me? It costs me the opportunity that I could be doing something else with that 45 minutes. You with me? Okay. Paul has a limited number sheets of stationery. Can't go to Office Depot and buy some more. This stuff's expensive in his day. He doesn't have the clickety-click Pilot G2 pen. He's got to find the ink and the writing utensil. The odds are he's got someone else doing the writing because he's in prison and he doesn't really have a lot of light. So he's got to find an ambulance secretary to do the writing. So he has chosen to do a letter to that church that he's never seen and tell them, I'm struggling for you. I can't tell you how great I'm struggling for you. And if I'm getting that letter from Paul in prison, knowing he's never even been to our church, I'm going to pay attention. Because I know that he's got something to say or he would not spend his opportunity on us. So let's pay attention. He starts out. He says, I'm doing this so that their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. 
Now I want to, we, we got to keep going. And, and here's the problem and the reason I was going to bring the Greek. If you'll notice, he's got this really long sentence. And this sentence started with verse 1. This sentence ends with verse 5. It's really, really long. And if you were to diagram this sentence, it would be brutal to have to do. I diagrammed it. It was brutal. And I thought, well, I'm going to show them. And I thought, well, I'm not sure I have it right. So I'm not. You go diagram it yourself and then we'll compare. But I can tell you what we're talking about here or what Paul's talking about. Paul says, I want you to know this great struggle that I have, even though I haven't seen you face to face. And I want you to know it because this is my concern. I'm writing you because of this. I want your heart to be encouraged. I want you to be knit together in love. And it's agape is the word he's using there. Agape love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. God's mystery? Ooh. Do you know the Greek word for mystery? It's mystery. <laughs> Mysterion. God's mystery. What's mystery not in the sense of who done it? There are two different Greek concepts, words for mystery. One's like a who done it. You know, like, oh, oh, the mystery of the gray pumpernil and Sherlock Holmes or whatever. No, 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 no. This isn't that kind of a mystery. This is a secret that hasn't been unfolded until later in time. So what was the secret? This is what David Fleming mentioned this morning in his sermon. David asked this question. How did God save Abraham? How was Abraham saved? Through faith. It says it in Genesis over and over. It says it three different times. That God would count Abraham's faith as righteousness. Now here's the question. Abraham had faith, but where do, does Abraham... Here, let's draw it. Here is Abraham. I'm working on my drawings. I'm getting better. That's Abraham. Except he's probably got a beard. And he may have had like some hair. He might have had a man bun. Probably not. Yeah. Now, this is Abe. Abraham. Abraham, bless his heart, has a problem. It's called sin. See, that same book that talks about Abraham talks about sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They fell. They're cursed. They're dying. They're destined for obliteration. If someone doesn't rescue them from their sin. God says, I'm going to do it through the seed of woman. 
or offspring of woman. God says to Abraham, I'm going to do it through your seed. But meanwhile, Abraham's got to accept this by faith. So Abraham has faith that God is going to take care of his sin. But Abraham does not know how God is going to do it. For Abraham, it is a mystery on how God will do it. We live on the other side of the empty tomb. We live on the other side of the cross of Christ, Messiah, Yeshua. We live on the other side of the mystery. We now are over here. There. That's us. And we can look back and see the mystery. We can see the solution to sin. We can see the salvation of God. It is in the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, if you use the Greek word for anointed. It is in Jesus. It is in Yeshua. You can write his name in Hebrew. Yeah, oh, Yeshua. Uh, no, it probably ends in a hey. Yeshua. That's Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, I want you to be encouraged. Your heart should be encouraged. You should be comforted. You should be excited. You should have joy because as you're knit together in love, not only for the love we have for each other, but the love of God that knits us together, the love that sent Jesus, that we reach all of the riches of the full assurance of understanding and knowing God's mystery, which is Jesus. See, when we understand what Jesus has done, we understand we are now right with God. We now can pray to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to wait for a festival. We don't have to, 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 to find any intermediary other than the intermediary that truly paid the price for our sins. The mystery that was hidden for the ages that we now see. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to look to money. You don't need to look to a Ouija board, a horoscope, or a magic eight ball. You don't need to look any further than the God who made you, who loves you, who redeemed you in Jesus. And he says, I'm telling you this because I don't want you deluded with 
plausible arguments. I don't want someone deluding you with something that might, well, that, you know, that kind of makes sense. I want to see you in good order. I want to see the firmness of your faith in Jesus. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. What satisfies your heart and your mind? Money's not going to do it. Hamburgers aren't going to do it. The Zodiac's not going to do it. Mick, come back to us. Try Jesus. And you'll have to lose that song. You'll have to start saying, I couldn't find any satisfaction till I tried Jesus, tried Jesus, tried Jesus, tried Jesus. And now I've done, 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 found satisfaction. I mean, we could, we could rewrite the song, but we didn't. So here's what he adds. Here's the last little add on that. He says, so, therefore, get the therefore. Always want the therefores. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I really like those words. Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Those are three different pictures in the Greek. The first picture is, is one of, of, of tree roots. So your, your, let's see where I am. Your roots of your tree, the roots are in Jesus. But then he uses a building term. So instead of roots, I might consider that the foundation. Let's, let's do a foundation. He's saying your foundation is Jesus. But then he's saying your structure, what's been built up. Okay, I'm really getting good at this drawing stuff. I don't know if you all realize that or not. It's kind of hard to realize by looking, but I'm getting good. All right, your foundation is Jesus. Your building that you're built up is Jesus. So where do you want to stay? In Jesus. And that's the image he's got with these words. So he says, as you received Jesus, you're rooted, your foundation is in him, you're built up in him, so live in him. Be established in the faith. That's the goal. Now, if we go back to the PowerPoint, he's got a warning coming up, and I want to give you the warning. If you live in something that's false, it's going to bind and handcuff you. You cannot do what you need to do. You cannot be who you're supposed to be. You can't live the life you're supposed to live. You can't enjoy the life you're supposed to enjoy. You can't serve the way you're supposed to serve. You can't function the way you should function if you've been deluded by a falsehood. Now, Paul's falsehoods that he's talking to the Colossi church about are not the same kind of falsehoods that we so readily fall for today unless 
you understand the root causes of those and the root ideas behind them. I've got to cover this in four minutes, so I'm not going to go into depth. But I still want you to look at it. It's in Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Paul says, I want you to see to it. This is an imperative in the Greek, blepo. I, I want you to see to it. I'm ordering you. Make yourself diligent that no one takes you captive by some philosophy, some empty deceit. Don't be deluded. According to some human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, it was a hyper-spirituality false view of divinity, dualism, stuff that we need to get into maybe one day, but not right now. It's not according to Christ. That's the key. And, and I, I want to tell you, I don't care what the delusion is. I don't care what the philosophy is. If it's not rooted in Jesus Christ, it's false. It will handcuff you. It will it will inhibit you. It won't make your life better. It will ruin your life. It will leave you empty and hollow and, and destitute spiritually and emotionally. It will leave you without the resources that you need to do this thing we call really living. And Paul says it. He says, look, in Jesus, look what's in Jesus. The whole fullness of deity dwells. That's what incarnation means. God had a problem. God wanted unity with sinners. But God's moral perfection would not allow him, does not allow him to be united with moral imperfection. So God's got to do something. But it's got to also be a human endeavor. It's the human sin. So God becomes man and conquers the grave and the sin and pays the price that man has to pay for man's sin, atoning for us. The whole fullness dwells bodily. And you, believers in Jesus, have been filled in Him. Doesn't say he's filled you here. Paul's saying you've been filled in him. When you're in Jesus, you have been filled with what God has for you. He's the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised, not with a circumcision that's not made with hands, that's in a bris. But it's by putting off the body of the flesh. We've been circumcised in the sense that we've been cut off from the sinful life that we had before. Does it mean we don't sin? No, we're still in the old man uniform. But from an eternal sense, we're set free and we're clean. And there will come a day where we're all pure again. And God's working on making that day a reality 
daily as he continues to transform us into the image of his son. He says, this is why you were buried with him in baptism. That's another illustration. You were, you were buried. You were raised brand new through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You know, this is what God has done. And if we don't realize it, then we're walking around deluded. If we go back to the PowerPoint, this delusion, are these are the handcuffs. We've got a chance to be with the fullness of God. We've got a chance to fellowship with the eternal one. We have a chance to take our direction in this life from the author of all good things. Who on earth wants to go eat from a dumpster when instead they've got the best food of the world in front of them? I, that's what it is. What duffel puds are we, to use a term out of C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treaders? Voyage of the Dawn Treader, singular. What duffel puds are we? If we have a chance for the fullness of life and instead we slum around for the nothingness of some cheap imitation that does not satisfy, that misleads, that, 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 that's, that's the choice. And what Paul is saying is, these falsehoods will handcuff you. So I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus because he's the one who set you free. He's the one who makes you okay with God. And, and the last point in chapter 2 that I really want to underscore with our, our last five minutes or so is this. Paul cares about this because what we believe affects how we live. It affects our practice. You want to believe there's a God, it will change the way you live. You want to believe you have sin, it will change the way you live. You want to believe that God loves you enough that he's chased you down to try to to not only deal with your problem, but get your attention. I was about a five-year lawyer. I was working for a man named Ernest Cannon, five, six-year lawyer, right in that range. And Ernest, uh, we, we had a, an assistant. Um, I don't remember her name now, uh, Ernest's main assistant was Jan Manning. She works for me now. She's great. Um, and, and this other assistant was good too, but this other assistant had a problem that recurred. She, Ernest would call her in and tell her things to do, and she would sit there and say, okay, okay, okay. And it would drive Ernest crazy because he would want her to make notes because he would be afraid she'd forget. And I just can't tell you how many times I remember sitting in Ernest's office when 
this assistant would come in and Ernest would say, I need you to file this and then I want you to send out these interrogatories and then I want you to notice this deposition. And she's sitting there saying, okay. And Ernest would look at her and he'd go. <laughs> and she'd say, oh, oh, yes, yes, Mr. Cannon. She'd start writing it down. Next day, I need you to do this, this. She'd say, yes, sir. Okay, I envision Paul doing that right now. It's like, guys, gals, please pay attention. See, one of the emptiest, hollowest, deluding philosophies out there for us is the wheel of time that just keeps rolling. It's called, take your glasses off and don't notice God. It's called get distracted by life. And then all of a sudden, God doesn't seem so important. Then all of a sudden, you start thinking, gee, is that just something that I used to believe because I was young? I mean, after all, this world's so much bigger than I thought. When what's really happened is, as you've continued to grow, you've taken your eye off the prize. You've gotten distracted. So your world doesn't seem to have room for God as much. But it's not that there's not room in the world for God. It's that you've changed your direction and your thoughts. And so what Paul is saying here is, if you've been captured by one of these other philosophies or approaches to life, come back. It will affect how you live. It will affect what you do. And it will not lead to happiness for you. And it will not lead to fulfillment. And it will not lead to the joy that comes from Jesus. And so what, what you... Look, here he ends it. This is where he says it. Colossians two sixteen through 23. He says, look. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Questions of food and drink. With regard to a festival, a new moon, a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come. Substance belongs to Jesus. So don't let someone disqualify you insisting on, you know, making life miserable so that you can be holy. That's asceticism. Or worshiping angels. The idea that there's someone else worthy of attention, whether it's Moses or, or, or anyone for that matter. Going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Not holding fast to the head, to Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. So don't grow cold to Jesus because you're enticed by something else. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive to the world, are you submitting to regulations? You know, some of the people there were into this legalism. Don't touch that. Don't handle that. Don't taste that. These are just human precepts and teachings. They appear to be wise. They appear to promote a self-made religion. Uh, an asceticism, a severity to the body. But they're no value. Here's, let me put that into Plain and simple 21st century English with the PowerPoint. Here it is. 
Paul's saying Jesus is not about rules. Jesus is about a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that the relationship doesn't have obligations. My, my sweet wife and I have a relationship, and there are obligations that go with that. There are things I will do with my life because I love my wife. There are things I will not do in my life because I love my wife. But we don't have some rule book that we live by. I guess sort of we do. <laughs> there are a couple of things that I'm pretty sure are rules for me. But uh, <laughs> you get the idea. And, and, and then what we're doing for God and Jesus isn't following the rules. It's an opportunity and a privilege to show that we honor our Lord and we love him. And we need him. And we believe him. And so, yes, the world may say, here's your answer. But if the answer from Jesus is something different, we're going with the answer from Jesus. I had a friend call me the other day, a lawyer called me. And he said to me, he said, look, I want to destroy these people over here. And I said to him, why? What, what's it going to do? What good's it going to do? And he said, for revenge because of what they've done. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I said, well, that's a good way to have a blinded, toothless world. And we, we, I, that's, if there's merit in the case, let's pursue a case with merit. But if we're just doing it out of vengeance... I, I, don't, I don't want to sign on to that parade. You know, the, 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 the thing about our life is, is we believe that the directions Jesus gives us are good things for us to follow. That's to chart our course. If we don't follow those things, we're not following them to merit God's love. Heavens, how much more love could he have for you than to die for you? He's already got the love for you. He didn't wait for you to follow all of his rules to come give his life for you. Him giving his life for you, was his love for you was never based on what you do. It's always been based on the fact that he made you. It's about who he is. So when we do, we don't do to win his love. We do because we have his love. And we trust him. That's what this is all about for Paul. And if you're living it any other way, you've been deluded by a philosophy. So here are your points for home. Satisfaction, joy, and answers, they're found in Jesus. The truth, it's found in Jesus. So you want to find the truth about Jesus to learn it. And our last point for home, if we'll strengthen our relationship with Jesus... The effects in our own lives will multiply. Yeah, you know, this is the whole thing about the giving campaign at church. I'm writing those Torah devotionals, y'all know, during the week. Just wrote the one where Moses told the, or God told Moses, you have the Israelites give to build the tabernacle according to their heart, the generosity of their heart. It's not a rule. This is not a rule for us. This is an opportunity to walk in faith. But that's what all of this stuff's about. I mean, we're just trying to figure out how to honor the Lord. 
And I want to do that with my life. I hope that you will join me as we continue to study Colossians. Can I bless you? And then we'll go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on my friends here and everyone listening to this message. Lord, I do pray that you will reveal your truth to them, that they will see you for who you are, that they will follow you as their Lord, their Savior, their God, and that they will walk in the fullness of your blessings, learning more and more what you've done for us and watching you multiply that in our lives as we walk in faith with you. I pray in your name, amen. God bless you guys.